What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself, Craig Stout, and Matt Lane all get together to talk about last week's game, look ahead to next week's opponents. And the good news is the Chiefs have an opponent next week. They are hosting the Evil Empire, the New England Patriots, in Arrowhead for the AFC Championship game, for the Lamar Hunt Trophy. What an opportunity for this team, for this city. I'm so excited for all of you that are getting a chance to go out there. Enjoy it. Enjoy the chance to do this. You're coming at the king, and I I think it's fantastic. I think you embrace the opportunity to go out and go head-to-head with Tom Brady. I think this game is an opportunity to pass the mantle. Pass the mantle on to Patrick Mahomes as the new face of, of the National Football League, as the new best quarterback of the National Football League, and as a presence in the AFC for what we hope is the next 15 years. The Chiefs are two wins away from a Super Bowl. Two wins away from their first Super Bowl in about 50 years. And uh, I cannot wait to see what that game is. Looks like I can't wait to see what the energy in the building is. I can't wait to watch a game in zero-degree weather. I'm not going to be actually at the game. I just want to see that game. I just want to watch it and see you know, what it looks like and, and what it looks like at Arrowhead. This is going to be so much fun. And I, I hope all of you embrace this opportunity. Don't go in there with that nervous energy. Continue that. You know, Just play with confidence, watch with confidence, and, and enjoy something that... Kansas City hasn't got to experience in a long time and has not got to experience with a quarterback that is more than capable of leading this team to where they want to go. And uh, speaking of that guy, Patrick Mahomes got his first opportunity in a playoff game. It was uh, it wasn't perfect. I would say it wasn't like the greatest performance he's ever had, but the couple things I liked. I thought he started fast. I thought he f- started fantastically, locked in, just perfect early. I, and I thought that was really encouraging because you know he wasn't managing any of the juice. He was just out there executing at a high level. And I thought that was that was a great start to him getting you know starting fast, on point early. Um, and then you know I the other thing I, I I noticed that I thought was really impressive is. You know, he was just willing to go in and and make throws that he has all season, and I think that sounds, you know, like why would you be excited about that? Why are you? Why would you be intrigued by that? The fact that Mahomes just went in and played his game and was willing to try to throw a ball around an offensive lineman, you know, with the anticipation to Travis Kelsey, who hadn't yet cleared, you know, uh, Darius Leonard when 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 Mahomes released the ball, that sidearm beautiful throw around a defender. And around his offensive line, the fact that he is willing to do stuff like that, throwing back into the middle of the field to to Tyree Kill and, and stuff like that, I thought that was just very encouraging because you saw a guy that was just going to go out there and do what got him to that point, and and that's not something that can be you know stated about every quarterback. So I thought that was really encouraging for what we saw, and I and I anticipate the same thing to happen. You know. Um, I think that's what's going to happen against the Patriots. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to go out there. He's going to play loose. He's going to play free. He's going to play like he has all season. And if you get that same kind of performance, that same kind of freedom, good things will happen. And I'm anticipating good things to happen. Shocker, I'm going to pick the Chiefs to, t- to take uh, the AFC and hoist 
the Lamar Hunt Trophy. How cool of a feeling would that be? I'm going to bring Matt on here in a second. We're going to talk a little bit about the pass rush. We'll talk about some early thoughts on the Patriots defense. We'll bring Craig on later, and then we will end the show with a bunch of mailbag questions. And time to bring on Matthew Lane, Maddie Lane, at Chief in Carolina on Twitter. What's going on, my man? What's happening, Kent? This is like the loopiest and weirdest pre-pod conversation we've had in a while. Just all you, me, just we're <laughs> we're we're in rare form today. Let's just say that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Because, last week huh? it was just interesting because last week everybody was just like super focused. We wanted to have a huge mailbag, really diving into the film on how we're going to beat the Colts and. I'm not going to say it was yeah. like wasn't fun, but it was very like business like. And this one, we've been sitting here talking for like 20 minutes, and we have not had a serious conversation yet. So I can only imagine <laughs> where this entire thing's going to go from here. Yeah, I don't. I I have no idea. We'll we'll see. We're what playing happens, loose, boys. Playing loose. Yeah, we're we're hey, we're playing loose. We're play, just like the Chiefs should do on on Sunday. That'd be that would be helpful. Um, Killer transition. You know, so do what. Killer transition. I know, right? I mean, this is why I'm, you are the host, profe- and I am just this guy you bring on for one or two segments here and there. You know, talks talks on a on a protein shake shaker, puts right. his mic on that. That's his. That's I, his mic. First state. off, I mean, we, we need are- to clear up real quick. I think it was pretty unanimous that my Chipotle Bowl won. Nobody really gave us any feedback. The only feedback we got was how ridiculous calling rice the best part of the bowl was. Well, be, okay, whatever. I'm just going to catch that L and move on because we're okay. already like... I'll take it. And that's our segment with Matt. I mean, that's like... That's we said like we were playing loose to today. Yeah. Um, okay, the pass rush from the Colts game. There was success off the edge. It looked like they, they were being pretty diverse with their rushes too. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to what we've been talking about the last couple weeks is the Chiefs, just their rush plan, their entire defense, but specifically the rush plan, has undergone some kind of change. You still have your same talent. You still have Chris Jones, D Ford, Justin Houston doing their thing, but you're getting a lot more stunts. Chris Jones had very few rushing attempts where he was just simply asked to try to beat somebody one-on-one, which he really didn't get many one-on-one opportunities, but he was constantly slashing or looping around the other outside not even always on a stunt sometimes he was just looping around the center and nothing was coming in behind him so they were just being a little bit more unique they had a lot more blitzes coming Hitchens was pressuring the a gap a ton he would drop out of there he'd come around on a delayed blitz off the edge so they were just mixing stuff up and it was fantastic to see and what ended up happening was you got a ton of Justin Houston one-on-one I mean a ton Now, that's kind of normal for the year. We've seen Justin Houston get one-on-one reps because everybody has to pay attention to Chris Jones and 800 straight sacks in a game. And D. Ford, who's just any given play, can touch a quarterback before a quarterback even can attempt to throw. So you get a lot of Justin Houston one-on-one. You got a lot of D. Ford against Braden Smith one-on-one or just a quick chip from a tight end, and that just simply isn't enough every time. So you just got all these great matchups, and then to throw in the – more exotic or unique looks. It was everything was coming up Chiefs in terms of pass rush versus the best offensive line in football. So, do you think that they can get Tom Brady with some of those looks too this week, or is the, is this something that like Tom's just going to be able to beat because the ball's out? 
So that's the thing. The Colts got the ball out plenty quick. That's kind of their thing. They're a quick passing offense. Luck didn't do as good at it in this game as he had done in the previous couple weeks, but that's still what their game centers around. So it's not like the Chiefs were getting sacks or pressure super late in the down. D. Ford was still winning early. Chris Jones had some reps where he was getting pressure. Like It was happening all over the place. So they should still be able to get Tom. And unlike Andrew Luck, Tom's not moving great. He's not going to avoid a bunch of rushes. He's not going to scramble out of the pocket through a small hole or shrug off a guy's arm on his shoulder. So you have that going for you. It's just a matter of can you get a couple good looks? Can you can get these one-on-one matchups to the side that you need it to be on and not in an area where Tom can just lightly slide away while they have their protection slid the proper way? But what we've seen so far that she's pass rush, it's not going to be static. It's going to be good. It's going to be dynamic, and that's what's been fantastic. So I would expect them to get more pressure than at least the Chargers did, which shouldn't be too difficult. <laughs> it's not hard. Uh, you can say it. Tom's moving bad. Like he just he can't move anymore. It's, it's like a forty-one-year-old out there playing football. It's it's uh, it's almost like he's mortal, and he's it's like he's Craig's he, age. He might be. Uh... <laughs> oh, actually, I think I sorry. Think did I steal your joke? Tom is a little bit younger than Craig, like a decade or so. But I, I don't know. Um, Checks out. So a couple couple questions for you. I uh, one thing we just kind of talked about, maybe talking about today. You think you've identi- identified a couple places on the Patriots' defense that could give the Chiefs problems. Yeah, and I'll keep it quick because there'll probably be a chance to touch on this a little bit in the mailbag. But two things the Patriots' defense do that's kind of unique. The way that they'll put a bunch of linebackers or safeties in between the tackles and show, have them show like they're blitzing, sometimes they'll have up to four guys that aren't line of scrimmage players standing up, crowding the line of scrimmage. And instead of just dropping from what they from there, what they'll do is take a step or two into the line, and then a couple of them will pop back out. So it's called kind of a it's just called a pop out. But in theory, they're reading what kind of protection the team has against them, and guys that are gonna be accounted for by a blocker are just dropping back into kind of an underneath zone. We saw them get the chase right. with that a couple times. You saw Dante Hightower get a pick doing that. Now he, I'm pretty sure he was called to drop out. And he wasn't reading the protection. But they'll also do that same concept and read the protection. So you got to be weary of these pop-out players if you're trying to attack them over the middle underneath. And secondly, they run a ton of man. They actually run more man coverage than anybody in the NFL. But instead of just playing with one deep safety, one underneath player in the middle of the field kind of taking stuff away, they'll use those two guys. They'll completely abandon the typical you know cover one man zones, and they'll just straight up bracket a receiver on the outside bracket a tight end over the middle with them and have almost nobody just playing in these zones to help everybody else so you really got to read the coverage once the snap started find the guys that are getting the pure one-on-one coverage and the guys that aren't getting bracketed and be ready to attack these areas that are normally covered by those extra help defenders because they're not always there for the patriots okay one other question tom or bill belichick always likes to try to make you play left-handed like that's a common phrase he's gonna try to take one thing away from you just a guess you don't have to give me a long answer who do you think they try to take away this week they're gonna try to take away kelsey and hill they've done it against the steelers before and you've seen teams do it they will like i just said they will use both extra players and cover one to bracket two different players they won't do it every snap but they'll do it plenty 
I would imagine it'll depend on formation and kind of what defense they have called if they're going to pick one or the other. But I bet you see plenty of snaps where both Kelsey and Hill have two guys paying attention to them rather than just one of them constantly having a double team. Sounds like Sam season. Let's yeah, go. He's got to do better. He has to do better against Gilmore because that's who I'm su- assuming he'll get. He has yeah. to do better against yeah. him this week than he did last week or last time. Absol- he beat him a couple sure. times, but he's got to do better. All right, Maddie. Let's uh, we'll we'll grab Craig real quick, and then we'll bring you back on here in a minute for the mailbag. We're joined now by Craig Stout. Find him on Twitter at Barley Hop. Uh, Craig. I just wanted to ask you, have you reached out to your former classmate, Adam Vinatieri, to just kind of say thank you for your your missed field goals, maybe console him a little bit too at the same time? Um, how are you, how, have you? Have you reached out to your former classmate? Oh, yeah. No. Uh, when we were at the game, I went down and he came over and we kind of shook hands. I mean, how glorious is Adam Vinatieri's gray beard right now? I mean, it is phenomenal, right? We can't, I mean, we can't perfect. really talk bad about that guy. He's that beard is too good, and I mean, he he now has whatever bad juju Lynn Elliott had. So like he 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 wore that. He took it on. So I mean, that was that was very big of him. Uh, Craig, you were at the game. You drove down like hours before the game started from Wichita in the snow. I did. Uh, about ten thirty, our buddy at his darkness. Uh, He posted something online. He had some friends out in western Kansas that could not get to the game because of the snow and because they gated off I-70 and they weren't allowed to go there. So he posted something about if anybody wanted the tickets. I called him within the minute and we took our, uh, my wife and I took our toddler to grandma's house and drove up. We, uh... (laughs) Parked in the parking lot, right? Uh, grabbed a couple beers, drank them on the way to the gate. As soon as we walked into the gate, the kickoff started. There was literally no extra time between when we left our house and when we got in the gate. It was perfect. You picked a good game to go, buddy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, got the monkey off our back. Cycle is broken. It's Yeah, it's fantastic now. What was the energy like in that building? Was it was oh, it pretty it, nervous? It was hot. No, it was not nervous at all. After that punt, you could feel it a just just the the smallest bit. But honestly, they started so hot, and that you know that crowd loves defense, and they love cheering for a good defense, and that defense was good all game long. So that crowd yeah, was. was hyped up all game long. Throwing snowballs on the field. Don't do that, guys. Throwing snowballs on the field. And, yeah, no, it was it was crazy. It was awesome. I kind of like the snowballs. I'll be real. <laughs> um, okay, I you kind of basically gave us the perfect segue because the defense was excellent. And uh, I'm going to just ask some, uh, a mailbag question now to you. At Jim Sheffers asks, from everything you've seen the last two games, nine points allowed by the defense and five takeaways. Is this sustainable? Can we reasonably expect, uh, you know, 23 points a game, three sacks a game, and two, two turnovers a game for the next two games? Look at that optimism. I mean, that's, that is prime Bobsativity right there, Jim Sheffers. That's, <laughs> that is fantastic. No, you, you can't 
this isn't sustainable. They are playing out of their minds. Not even just for them. Just as a good defense right now. They are playing out of their minds. They're turning the ball over at will. The pass rush is ridiculous. The pass rush plan has been phenomenal and diverse all you know for the past couple weeks. The coverage shells have been constantly shifting. They were really able to throw Luck off of his game because he was having to take that extra beat to read the shells a little deeper because they were throwing so much at him. You know, it wasn't stuff that he hadn't seen before, but it was enough variance in it that he had to take that little extra time to make sure that he was reading the coverage right, and that was allowing the pass rusher to really get to him this week. I don't know that you're going to have that same effect with Tom. I'd try again with Tom, but I, I as these offenses get a little better and... As you move away from Arrowhead, when they go to Atlanta, when they go to Atlanta, then all of a sudden you're talking about a little different environment. You're you're not allowing the crowd to affect the game nearly as much as it would in Arrowhead. And yeah, you know, eventually they're going to put enough of this on tape to where good offenses, especially Sean McVay or Sean Payton on that other side, will be able to diagnose some of it and will be able to attack it a little bit better. But I honestly, if they get even 80% of what they're getting right now, that's good enough to take them to the Super Bowl and help them be competitive in that game. So, Craig, was the defense throwing curveballs or were they throwing snowballs? Oh, Kent. <laughs> I... We're, we're and, done, guys. We're done. And that's you know, the show. We can call that one. Yeah. <laughs> I had to. That was like the worst joke I've ever told in my life. And literally, I've had it sitting in my holster for like two minutes, but you went on and on and on. Like the, the moment kind of passed. <laughs> but I really wanted to get that in there. Even, you know, just I got to keep my terrible dad jokes on brand. Um, yeah. You know, speaking of uh, on brand, uh, the Chargers uh, sucked <laughs> in. Uh, <laughs> they they got torched, man. I mean, Tom carved them up. Can you tell us all why it'll be different in Kansas City? Well, I, I'm I'm gonna say something here. Now, the the national media really wanted to sell you on Gus Bradley's job defending the Ravens' offense with his seven defensive backs and how he was able to you know spread everything out and keep you know keep speed on the field and keep Lamar Jackson in check you know what doesn't work seven DBs against 21 personnel when the (laughs) Patriots can run the ball or playing soft static cover three zones where the Patriots can throw to James White and go for 15 completions against them and not adjust to that Gus Bradley was awful this past weekend he was terrible like I know that we all want to watch that game and take something from it as compared to the Chiefs defense but honestly you're better off taking something from the game in week six with Josh Shaw Ron Parker and without Justin Houston on the field than you are taking something from that Chargers game Bob Sutton will not do that I can guarantee it even if you are a guy that hates Bob Sutton You know that Bob's not going to sit there in a soft cover three zone and just allow the same pass over and over and over and over again with no pass rush. It was just a terrible plan of attack. We'll get into it a little bit more about what the Patriots did 
and how Bob really attacked them last time and the sort of changes that he can make, you know, with the new guys, Ward, Lucas, having Justin Houston on the field and just kind of some of the stuff that uh, that they did on the back end against Luck can work to keep some of these short passes in check and drive downhill, keep them short and, you know, force third and longs against Tom Brady. Did you went full Maddie Lane twice? <laughs> That's I a know. rarity. It's lack of sleep, guys. It's lack <laughs> of sleep, I'm telling you. Just wild long answers. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> this week is this is the kind of week to do it because the Chiefs are in the AFC Championship game. I Woo. come on, it's nuts. Woo. Speaking <sighs> of Maddie, I love it so much. They got a shot to go to the Super Bowl this weekend. That's nuts. And we'll be at the Senior Bowl talking about it, whether or not the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. So uh, they will be. They will be. I'm 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 feeling myself a little bit here, man. Uh, let's hey, let's bring Maddie in. We'll do a mailbag. And we have the entire nerd squad back together again, and we'll be all in the same room next time we record this show. We'll be at the Senior Bowl or in the same uh, next car. week, or in the same car. Maybe we should mm. record from the car. We'll, we'll see how much this mic picks up road noise. Nobody needs to listen to the road noise between New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama yeah, for the entire cool podcast. You never know. I mean, like, after 60 seconds of Matt's explanation of something, They'll I mean, it kind of does start sounding like road noise. So They'll be begging true. for it. Kent will throw in a bad, bad joke. Not a dad joke, a bad joke. And everybody will be happy. <laughs> I'll be eating my uh, rice-filled chipotle burrito. It'll be delightful. This podcast has become a joke, and if anyone's still listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fair. I mean, I'm not. I'm not mad at you. Uh, let's get into these questions. At Klein Optimus asks, "Are we seeing consistent or random flashes from both Derek Nottie and the run defense?" Derek Naughty has always had a very quick first step. He's not your traditional like two-gapping nose tackle. He can certainly do that and really anchor well and occupy blockers. We've seen him do it a couple of, you know, a handful of times throughout the course of the year when he's been asked to do that. But where Naughty has won more often than not this year is through penetration. Guys, especially when their center's trying to get to their next block, whether it's pulling or trying to climb, maybe don't pay him enough attention as he lines up opposite them. And he's really beat a lot of reach blocks from guards, and he's able to shoot into the backfield. We've noticed both him and Xavier Williams are able to kind of get into the backfield more often and destroy plays before they even start. We saw Prime one this week against Mac for a six-yard loss. Fantastic job. There's more of that throughout the course of the year, and yeah, they they especially do it against teams that like to pull linemen a lot. Yeah, and I think you'll see more of it with Nadi going forward in his career as he kind of gets, he still seems like he's struggling a little bit with every blocking scheme. If you come basic at him, if the center that he's lined up over is just going to barely touch him and then try to move on to the second level or move over to Chris Jones and help with him, Nadi has the recognition skills to just use that first step and beat the reach block coming across. 
But what happens when guys start to trap him or pull backside guards over to him, he has a tendency to get caught off balance. We've seen fullbacks take him out. You've seen tight ends be able to block him. So he just has to kind of up his ability to read the blocks that are coming at him. And then I think he'll be even more devastating making these plays behind the line of scrimmage from that nose tackle spot. Does Derek Noddy, real quick, yes or no, does Derek Noddy get whammed successfully on Sunday? Yes or no? Yes, just because they they did it to him once already. I think he destroys Devlin when they try it. Oh, oh let's I, go! I, I, let's I'm go. so here for that. I don't That'd think he so cares dope. about the play at all. I think he just buries Devlin if they try to do that because you know he got I crap think... from that in the in the locker room once they put on the tape. Oh, for sure. He sees that come through. He might even be a step slow when he's left on block through like that. But if he gets a chance to square up with Devlin, I think he takes it to him. The fact that Devlin gets snaps is just like, just I I. Uh, it's is there just anything the least more New appealing. England Patriots? Is there anything it's... more New England Patriots than <laughs> Devlin no. getting a ton of snaps and being successful with them? Well, and the other thing is they've been playing so much with six offensive linemen with Gronkowski out there. So um, it's really <laughs> it's it's fascinating. At OUSAS asks. What did the inside linebackers do differently this game? They seem far more impactful in the right ways. It's the same stuff that we've talked about kind of for the last couple weeks with the defensive line playing a lot more straightforward gaps in front of them. They're not having to wait for defensive linemen to uh, climb across multiple gaps and they can kind of play downhill and shoot downhill. The very first run play of the game, D Ford blew it up by, by beating a backside wham from a tight end and he was able to make the tackle for loss. But if he hadn't made the tackle for loss, Reggie Raglan was coming through, like a freight train through the A-gap, untouched. Uh, the, the climbing blocker just flat missed him because Reggie shot it so quickly. There's been a lot more of that in the past couple weeks, and a lot of that comes from a simplified gap scheme up front and helping these inside linebackers to read and process their keys quicker and have them get the ability to play downhill. Yeah, and Raglan's had a few plays like that where he's flashed that all year long, especially after a bad play. If you see a play where Raglan gets blocked and gets blocked good by somebody, the very next chance there's a run play and he's on the field, he's come through just about as hot as Craig's talking about in this first run there. But he's doing it more consistently now, and it's just that's just it. It's simpler reads. The nose tackle in front of him wasn't trying to cross the face of the center and then making Raglan read that to figure out which A-gap he's filling. I believe it was Naughty. He literally just fired straight into the guard in front of him. The center took his little duo step on the inside foot to catch him. Raglan just beat him before he could get back off that block. And yet he was there. He was about ready to hit Max square in the chest right before Ford brought him down. And that's what happened all game. Hitchens, Raglan, they're playing with more energy. The game seems to be happening quicker for them mentally. So they're getting places Mm -hmm. faster. And it's just simply... The defensive line isn't being asked to do such unique things that are affecting the linebackers. Guys are in control of one gap. It might shift from where they're aligned, but there's not guys trying to watch two or three gaps at the same time. And I think the byproduct of that is like you've seen plays behind the line of scrimmage made from the second level of the defense. And like I, I think you could almost count on one hand how many times that had happened before the last couple of weeks. At B Rawlings four. Uh, also, uh, at, at Corey O'Donnell kind of asked in a similar vein, so we'll just go there, is if, if Laurent du- Duvarnay-Tardif is healthy, do you start him? I Andrew Wiley's playing good football right now, and 
I don't really know if you want to mess with the chemistry at this point in the season. I think he's almost at this point. I think I would just roll with who's out there and and have his talent available if something happens. So it's there's so many layers to this because it's not like the chemistry between LDT and Morse and Schwartz should really be that bad. He's played with them for years now. He played with them this year. Yeah, but it's been a while. Good. It's been a while. Like he would clearly have to work back in, but it's not like he's a new player getting put in there. At the same time, like you said, Wiley's been very good, especially in the run game. Wiley's been excellent. So, like, what do you do? You risk throwing any of that off to put LDT back in for this kind of first week he's been available. I really think that they're just activating LDT, not necessarily in case of emergency, but in case there is injuries and they need him later on. Because I believe this was the mm. last chance they had him. So, like, they waited it till was. the very end to activate him. I'm not 100% sure he's ready and they're willing to make the move. What I'd be interested in is if the Chiefs do win and they have this extra time off, does Wiley get reps at left guard? Because I believe he did in camp and maybe went in the last preseason game. Does he start getting some reps over there and potentially consider putting him at left guard while they bring LDT back to his right guard spot? That's kind of where my mind's at right now. But for this game, I think you have to go Wiley the way he's been playing. Yeah, Wiley's definitely the starter this week. I think that LDT was simply brought back from the standpoint that him as a backup is it offers more value to the team than having Ron Parker as a backup. Ron Parker doesn't play special teams. Ron Parker has been a healthy scratch at you know in the Seattle game. So this isn't a situation where they they cut a guy that was a significant contributor because they wanted this spot back for LDTs purposefully it was one of those situations where they cut a guy who wasn't seeing time and just wasn't getting on the field at all so you know it made more sense even if him even if LDT is a backup that he'd be on the roster instead of maybe Ron Parker it took us 30 minutes to talk about Ron Parker's cut but that's just crazy also the idea of Andrew Wiley at left guard whew, that could uh that could be fun just saying mm-hmm. uh maybe maybe in the Super Bowl who knows and Cam Irving, uh, your starting at, center next year. Wiley at left guard. There you go. Mm, Write it down. I mean, I mean, or, yeah, whew, there's Ryder. I mean, I, Austin Ryder, too. You know, he's on the roster as well. Add Stacey Meyer at this point. I'm not sure I want Eric Berry playing with the D, finally getting it going without him. I'm afraid of the rest elements. What are your thoughts? Ooh, this is a tough one. If Barry's healthy, if he's able to give 100% for whatever amount of snaps that he can go, like if he can go out there and play at whatever his best is right now, like the best that we saw in the Chargers game, I think he's still better than Daniel Sorensen or even Jordan Lucas as much as I love him. The problem is I don't know if you can get that out of Barry on a snap-by-snap basis. Whatever he was against Seattle, he wasn't tested a lot, but even the few times where he had a chance to come up and really make a play, he didn't seem necessarily timid, but he just wasn't selling out on it. Like he didn't feel 100%. Like he was trying to hold back because he didn't know. He was unsure about just coming up and putting everything on the line for that one play over and over again. So if you're going to get that Barry that we saw against Seattle, and again, he wasn't tested a lot. So for all I know, he was just playing his job, doing his role. Just I haven't seen Barry been, be that unimpactful of in a football game ever as a Kansas City Chief. It just doesn't happen. There's not a game where he plays that many snaps and literally makes one play in an entire game. So I feel like something had to be going on there. If you're getting that Barry again, yeah, I'd rather have Jordan Lucas's energy 
Daniel Sorensen's been playing a little bit better as is. Still don't love Sorensen as a starting safety, but he's out there. He looks a little more athletic. He's been playing better. If I can get Barry playing hard as a third safety or just splitting snaps even with one of those other two guys, I could see his use, especially against the Patriots, who are really going to try to pound the rock, try to use Gronk out on the passing routes. I would like to have Barry for that, only if he's willing to give everything every play. Yeah, it all comes down to his effort level and his desire. I know we make we we use the word spirit because Eric Berry uses the word use the word spirit, but if he does feel it, if he wants to go out there and he wants to hit and he wants to play physical in the run game, they absolutely could use him. But we saw what happened the last time that we played these Patriots and what happens when you have tentative safeties, guys who don't want to come up and hit. The Patriots were able to run all over this team, and they were kind of able to drain the clock a little bit and keep Mahomes off the field. Now, Mahomes was able to get on the field and score quick anyway, but the defense really gave up a lot and didn't tackle well, and part of that was because there was a lack of energy and a lack of aggression. If Eric Berry's not going to come with the right tone, with the right physicality, then I'd rather have guys out there. Dan Sorensen and Jordan Lucas want to hit. They want to play. They want to have They have this energy, so I'd rather have them on the field in that situation i'll just add a couple things yeah i totally agree the only version of eric berry i'm really super interested in seeing is the one that played in the chargers game and then um honestly i this this team does not need eric berry to win a super bowl they don't it would be nice to have him it would be great to have his you know if he can give you quality snaps similar to what he did against the chargers but they don't need eric berry to win a super bowl uh, they've they've played hot lately with without him. So and they're thirteen and two without Eric Berry at this point. So um, you know, just just food for thought. Nah, nah Yang asks uh, now that uh, Josh Gordon is inactive for New England, will Edelman be the focus for the Chiefs secondary? It should be James White. He's got fifteen catches last week. It's like his second or third time in the playoffs having fifteen catches. It's like the first player ever to do that. And he plays running back. So I mean if you're gonna single out a player, I think it's James White's who you want to shut down. But more importantly, it's the Patriots. You want to shut down anything under ten yards. You want to shut down the seams, force Tom Brady to throw deep and outside. It doesn't matter which players go in there. You just want to load the middle of the field keep guys close and in tight coverage, make Tom Brady have to make riskier throws because from what we've seen this year, he has not been excellent at them. Yeah, and James White, to me, is more of a receiver than he is a running back to this point. According to Next Gen Stats last week, when Sony Michelle was on the field, they ran the ball 82% of the time. When James White was on the field, they passed the ball 97% of the time. They don't use James White in the same way. So they can really key off of that and really kind of read it more as like 01 personnel than 11 personnel and guard him like a wide receiver. They kind of did that the last time where they had Jordan Lucas spinning down in the box and they used a safety against James White. The other safety should be helping with Julian Edelman, though. You don't want Julian Edelman one-on-one, especially against Steven Nelson or Kendall Fuller. Those guys got beat up by him the last time that they played. So this is a situation where I think you want to offer the safety help with Julian Edelman, and then you want to spin another defensive back down on top of where James White would be. 
And I understand why people are worried about Julian Edelman because he was literally just running wide open all game against the Chargers. I don't think it'll be the exact same thing. Um, it was just uh, Gus Bradley did a awful. less than <laughs> less than stellar job. Um, at uh, at binary phalanx asks Chiefs offense seemed to struggle for the large parts of the second half. Anything we should be concerned about? Broadcast view wasn't showing anything down the field. This is one of my biggest pet peeves about Andy Reid teams. You get this good lead going into halftime. You come out in the second half, and you don't play necessarily conservative, but you play vanilla. The Chiefs just plays in the second half. Outside the first, I think the first drive to start the second half was more of the same. But after that, it was just it reminded me of a preseason game, maybe like a third preseason game. But there's a couple shots downfield. There's stuff happening. But for the most part, it's just a vanilla game, almost like Andy Reid flipped open Madden, went to Andy Reid's playbook, and just started choosing these <laughs> stock plays out of a Madden video game. That's and <laughs> now that they're bad, it's just they're vanilla. There's not there's not the Andy Reid special stuff to them. The first half, the Chiefs were like they could not be stopped. Indianapolis had absolutely no answer for any of it. In the second half, just Indy seemed to have a better footing, and part of it was they adjusted. But again, I just think there was just so much less special there was so much less unique stuff to the offense and this is a trend of Andy Reid's through the years there was still a few downfield shots and Mahomes was not throwing the ball great downfield I don't know if it was weather just a bad game but he had a few passes that came out of his hand kind of wobbly that he missed downfield but it was really just even the downfield stuff was still just isolated routes there wasn't a ton of great route combinations so that's what I take away from it. We've seen that throughout the years with Andy Reid. You definitely saw it earlier this year when we'd have huge first halves and slower second halves. Yeah, I think you have to go into this New England game believing that's what you saw and think you're going to get the first half Chiefs offense again because that's kind of what they've proven they can do in just about every big game. And then on top of the play calling there and Pat being not quite as sharp in the second half, we also saw the the Chiefs committed a few more penalties that kind of set them back and they allowed a few more sacks. The Indianapolis was able to get pressure, you know, off of off of uh, Mitch Schwartz's side against Demetrius Harris. There there were a couple times where g- plays were just completely blown up and set them back, or a penalty, set them back, and just force the offense, this vanilla now offense that's not not able to gain as many of those chunk plays, they, they forced them to kind of be a little bit behind the eight ball, and with the defense playing the way that it was, Andy was very content to just do that. Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, I do think that there was some vanilla tendencies with the play calling. I... I thought Mahomes was a little bit off in the second half at times. Like it didn't look like he was as interested in creating outside the pocket a couple series. I don't know why. Um, it just kind of just seemed a little bit off. Like I, I don't know. Maybe it was the weather. Maybe it was the knee that was acting up a little bit. I just saw. I don't know. If, I don't want to call it hesitancy for a stretch, but it just it didn't look as consistent or as as similar as we had over the past, like you know, past seventeen games or whatever. So. Uh, at Mr. C. David asks, what is the one thing we have to do on defense to slow the Pats' offense down? Well, the Pats' offense isn't necessarily a uh, fast offense. They want to bleed time off the clock. They want to play with 21 personnel. That's using a fullback, a running back, and a tight end, or excuse me, as Kent called them earlier, an extra offensive lineman, Rob Gronkowski. 
I, they they don't like to throw out of that very often. They like to just kind of pound the run with Sony Michelle. So keying off of that, staying in big, heavy packages, having those inside linebackers really play downhill and force early downs, you know, one and two yards. The Chargers actually did a really good job of that and then just played a terrible zone that allowed, you know, 11, 12, 13-yard chunks in the passing game. So if they can win on early downs and allow that pass rush to kind of pin its ears back and force a little later developing routes, that's how the Chiefs Chiefs defense can really slow down this Patriots offense. Yeah, I agree. The Chiefs definitely need to slow down the run game. But I think any team in the NFL, if you want to stop the run, you can stop the run. You can put eight big bodies in the box and stop the run. It's just no offense in the right mind is going to keep slamming into that over and over again. You're going to have to be able to defend the pass out of that set too. Not Jaguars. That the, not that the Chiefs. <laughs> oh, fair point. Not that the Chiefs are going to continue to do that or anything <laughs> along those lines. But if you want to stop the run, you can dedicate the personnel and just essentially the body mass to do so. But to stop the pass from there, you got to get a pass rush. You got to pressure Tom Brady, and it can't be just off the edges. We've seen that with Justin Houston before in the playoffs against them. He had nobody else helping him. We've seen it before in games where there's just no other pass rush. That's not what it is anymore. You have D Ford, you have Justin Houston, and Chris Jones. All three guys can should almost be favorable to win a one on one out of every five one on one pass rush opportunities they get. That's a completely random made up number. That just sounds about right. <laughs> but these are guys. I like it. Offensive, it checks out. It checks offensive out. linemen don't feel comfortable blocking them one on one. Marcus Cannon against D Ford. That's okay. I'm going to take D Ford after what I've seen him do this year. Justin Houston versus Trent Brown. Trent Brown's played really well, but he's still a big guy. I don't expect him to always be able to keep up with Houston. And Chris Jones can line up wherever he wants on the interior. I'd get him over Joe Thune the most. And just let them win. If they win, they get Tom Brady off his spot, make him not get these quick five, six-yard passes to Edelman, to James White. I think the Chiefs are going to be sitting pretty because they're going to hit Tom, and he does not like to be hit this year. No, for sure. I mean, he's... He's a dinosaur, and uh, I, I, I think if they can, if they can get hit, if they can hit him a few times, and, and again, I do agree, moving him off the spot a little bit, um, things, easy things. He's made some easy things look really hard at times this year when he's had to move off his spot just a little bit. So I think mm-hmm. affecting him, getting him on the ground, I, I, I think it could go a long way, especially in such a, a cold, nasty game. Like, I mean, at some point, you know, you, you're gonna. The at some point Tom's gonna gonna fail. I mean, let's it, it might as well be on Sunday. Let's just say that. At, at Ron Cop asks, how important is Dorian O'Daniel's health this week with James White seeing seventeen targets against the Chargers? So as Craig pointed out, and they have even done this more recently too, a lot of times the Chiefs will send Jordan Lucas down to the line of scrimmage and he will play man coverage on a running back. They did it to the Patriots quite a bit. He did it a few times against the Colts. So I think whether O'Daniel's healthy, whether he's not, you're going to see a lot of Lucas, most likely him, he seems to be their guy of choice, playing on James White in man coverage. You might even see some corners on him. I think that would be very smart to do, especially if they put him out wide. So O'Daniel's going to help just because he is faster, but he hasn't been great in man coverage this year. He hasn't been great in coverage either. He's just very fast. So once he identifies something, he can close on it in a hurry, which again would be super helpful in this game. 
but it's not like he's a lockdown cover guy at this point. So not having him is going to hurt, but it's not necessarily going to be because of James White in the passing game and we have no one to cover him. I don't think O'Daniel would be one of the first three guys they would choose to put in man coverage on James White at this point in time. Oh, totally agree. And actually, they they used Dan Sorensen against Marlon Mack and Nihelm Hines out wide, especially when uh, the Colts went empty. Dan Sorensen ended up being that guy to cover those running backs, too, because Jordan Lucas was spinning down to cover a slot receiver or a tight end there. So they can be a little versatile with those two guys. And then, yeah, I think Dorian O'Daniel's real spot in this game is going to be like third nines, third and tens, things that are a little longer where the Chiefs can sit in their dime. And then Dorian can rally to the ball, play as an underneath hook defender, rally to the ball, use his speed to help with routes, help bring guys down short of the sticks if Tom does throw short of the sticks, which he will against that pass rush. So that's more of a situation where Dorian O'Daniel is going to help. And like I said, I'm going to treat James White as a receiver and, and put a DB on him and just hope that you win that matchup. Uh, I don't really have much more to add to that, fellas. <laughs> Fantastic job. At David Meta asks, what part of the Pats versus Chiefs game do you think is the most interesting area Uh most, most most interesting matchup, we'll just call it that. What's the most interesting matchup in this game? I think Matt hit it a, a couple questions ago. I think it's the pass rush against the offensive line, again, for the second week in a row. The Patriots' offensive line is very good once again. And the Chiefs just got done with a very, very good Indianapolis Colts offensive line. I mean, I'd probably say that of the offensive lines in the league, it's the Colts, the Rams, and the Patriots, which... Of course, this pass rush had to see them all this year. Patriots now twice. But this is a situation where if the Chiefs can dictate the front early and they can sort of get in the way, they they had such a a 58% disruption rate against Andrew Luck. If they have anywhere close to that against Tom Brady, this is not going to be close. Brady doesn't want to be hit. He's old. He's like me. He doesn't want to get back up. It hurts. It takes a long time to recover from that stuff. Greg told so that, no joke. Ah! That's <laughs> That's a situation where where you really you, you just got to hit him and you got to hit him early and often. They did it to Luck. Xavier Williams and Al, Alan Bailey took plenty of shots at Andrew Luck after the play. Just little chips here and there to remind him, hey, we're here. We're going to hurt you today. I think we see a little bit of that between Tom and, you know, and the uh, Chiefs pass rush. For me, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes versus whether you want to call it Belichick or Brian Flores, whoever's getting... Dang it. <laughs> you stole mine. <laughs> a jerk. <laughs> you the majority of kind of the defensive scheme and play calls. In that first half against the Chiefs in the first matchup, you saw the Patriots. They won plenty. And it wasn't even just Patrick Mahomes, but he's still a young quarterback. There were plays where he saw the right thing, he just missed the throw. He saw the right thing, but he got the ball a little too late. And sometimes he didn't see what he needed to see because the Patriots did an excellent job. So as I talked about earlier, you're going to get these pressures that look like seven, eight guys are going to come on a blitz. It's up to Mahomes to figure out who's coming, who's not coming, and where the real hot read's going to be, not who New England's trying to goat him into thinking's the hot read, resulting in a high tower interception. So it's little stuff like that. 
The Patriots are going to make you slide your protection to defend their blitz, but then what they're going to do is they're going to blitz the way you didn't you slid your protection from. They're going to get free rushers. This stuff's going to happen. It's going to be up to Mahomes to beat that scheme and that design, and he's going to have to do that both pre-snap and once this ball snapped. He can't just rely on what he saw before. He has to read again. He doesn't have time to read the whole field, but he has to find his hot read. If that guy's even potentially covered, he has to come off to a check down or just the best clear one-on-one matchup and put the ball where only his guy can get it, hope he gets a play from his playmakers, little stuff like that. Because if he can't do that like he was able to do in the second half versus the Patriots, it's definitely going to be a defensive battle. And I still don't have as much faith in a defensive battle as I should after seeing that Colts game. Yeah, thanks a lot, Matthew. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'll I'll probably just kind of zero in specifically on interior pressure. I think if if Chris Jones can can disrupt from the interior, I think that could go a long way in helping uh, this this Chiefs defense affect Tom Brady. So that's one area. I, I if Chris Jones has a big game, I think the Chiefs are are gonna are going to win this football game. And I think Tom Brady's going to retire on the field. So um, that's it for this week's episode. Uh, we will be talking to you next in Mobile, Alabama. And we all expect to be talking about a Chiefs AFC championship the next time we're talking. How about that? Have there ever been less cartilage in knees than a pass from Tom Brady to Rob Gronkowski? My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, Homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.